Welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. I am tonight's co-host, Jane Kara Martin, a junior from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, studying finance and global business and an RA in Gramercy Green. And I'm Tom Ellett, the other co-host, and I serve as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Jane, welcome to the podcast co-host seat. Thank you. Gramercy Green. Yes. I, I feel like I'm living in luxury living there. You are living yeah. in. Yeah. So do, do they scare you, those windows that go from, like, they can see your feet all the way to, like, the ceiling? I don't have the full-length mirror. I have oh. a pretty big mirror, though. It's nice, though, because I have a slight view of the Empire State Building. So I can kind of sometimes see my residents, and I can see them looking at me, so I just close the window. Okay. But it's nice. Okay. Fair enough. So global finance. Uh, global business and finance. Okay, global business finance. Yes. What do you want to do long term with that? Um, that's a good question. I think I have a diverse set of interests right now. I think I might end up doing statistics, but for right now, more so financial technology. So tell me a little bit about how you kind of are going through that process of uh, deciding which path to take in the career world. Right. I'm just trying to take a diverse set of classes. I think it can sometimes be difficult with the curriculum just because there's so many requirements. But with all the space that I get, I try to take, you know, different classes. And I think I picked up on like my global business concentration pretty fast by taking uh, a course called Student uh, Stern International Volunteers Ghana. And that's one of the requirements for the global business class. So I got an opportunity to go to Ghana over spring break my freshman year. And my family's from Ghana, so I thought I would know everything there is to know. But I learned a lot from the class, and I went to a part of Ghana that I'd never been to, and it really sparked my interest in it. Have you done other study away opportunities as well? Yeah, I went to Madrid last spring. Wow. Mm -hmm. Best thing about uh, going to Madrid? Uh, probably getting to practice my Spanish so often. It was really nice everywhere, like going everywhere, having to actually speak in a different language. Did you like the tapas? There are people who like like Barcelona because <laughs> there's not as much tapas, but, but I hear Madrid is, that's the food of choice. Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty good. I think at a certain point I started getting tired of it, not going to lie, but it okay. was pretty good. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Well, we have a great guest tonight. Who is our guest? Yes, today our guest is Jesse Yu, who served as an RA in Brittany Hall for Danielle Dimoff and Sarah Shields during the 2014 to 2016 academic years. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. It's Thanks great to me. see you, too. I do see you from time to time, and it's great. You are a phenomenal RA. It's nice to have you here with us. Of course. I figure, you know, I'm in the city. Why not come in person and, and get that nostalgia feeling one more time of going to Kimmel. So there you go. And you didn't stop at the Kimmel Center for some food along the way. I did not, but I did send a picture to my friends joking that I was going to go get food up there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, let's take a moment to go back to your time at Washington Square. And we'll start off with what did you study? And then uh, Jane, I'll give it to you for a little bit. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think you know this is probably why we're matched up together. But I actually studied finance and global business at Stern as well. Um, and I actually did a minor as well through the School of Public Policy, Wagner, uh, in public policy and management. So very similar to what Jane's saying right now. Outstanding. So what have you done since you graduated from NYU? Yeah, so I've, it's been, I guess, just over three years. Um, but I feel like I've done a decent amount in three years. So when I graduated, I went to a small company called JP Morgan, um, <laughs> and I was doing investment banking there. 
I hit just about the three year mark there, got promoted, and then I already knew, okay, I wanted to kind of transition. So from there, I went to a cybersecurity startup called Tessian. Um, so it's a software startup that came from the UK. Uh, I was there only for about five to six months before I just recently transitioned to a fintech startup called TrueMid. Um, and that's where I am right now. And my role there is called corporate development. So. Well, we're going to unpack all of those decisions in terms of where you went and why you chose to go. But let's talk a little bit about your time here on the Square. Uh, what were you involved in extracurricularly? Yeah, absolutely. So besides being an RA, which I loved, um, I was part of the Stern Student Government a bit. So Stern Student Council. I was on a group called the Dean's Task Force. So I got to work with Dean Gita, Gita Menon, um, help drive initiatives at NYU. I was partook in uh, a very unknown community called Greek Life at NYU <laughs> as well. So I did that for a few years. Um, and I also did like some of the intramural sports. So I think that's, people don't always count that as an extracurricular, but that was a great time as well. Um, and did you always want to be an RA while you were an undergrad? Because you said you really enjoyed it, but yeah. did you know you wanted to be one? Definitely. So I think like I kind of had an insight into being an RA before I even came to NYU. So I have an older sister, Janet, who served at Carlisle. Um, and she's eight years older than me. So before I, when I came to NYU, I thought, hey, like that's a familiar world. Um, you know, not gonna lie, I think my parents expected me to try to be an RA as well, but I, I knew I kind of wanted to be there because I had such an impactful freshman RA. Um, my sister loved the experience and combining those two, I knew I wanted to be not just an RA, but a, a first year RA. Remind me who your RA was. Yeah, so my RA was AJ Smith. Oh my God, um, he's been on the show. North. Yeah. I ran run into him uh, frequently. I ran into him in the subway last. So he's a great musician, and he actually played one of his new songs on the podcast uh, a few oh, months ago. I'll so check it out. You should check it out. So you you had this influence, and your sister was a great RA as well. Um, uh, but you had to go and do it. Uh, and sometimes what you think it is is not really what it is. You and Brittany, first year students, was that what you wanted? And how did you go about creating community? with your floor. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, you know, when you take a first year hall, you kind of know what you're getting into in the sense that, hey, these are students who are just in high school not too long ago, and they're kind of in the city that for the first time for many of them, um, there's a lot more responsibility, but at the same token, there's a lot more impact. And that's really what drove me to take the first year role. Uh, the way I approached it was, you know, I think people see Ari as an, as an authoritative figure and you do not want that relationship and that's not what I wanted. Um, I found that, you know, if you just build the respect of your community, have them see you as a friend, as a peer, um, things like disciplinary action don't really occur because they don't want to disappoint you. That's the type of relationship you want. Um, and vice versa, you want to be someone that they can trust. You never would want a resident who is dealing with something that, you know, they can't really turn to anyone else, um, but you should be that person they could turn to. So my approach is always, you know, I wanted to be their friends. We don't have to be best friends, but I want to be someone that you can respect and look up to and, and vice versa. And, and we can have a, a candid relationship and candid conversations when necessary. It's a perfect approach for the role. And I, I advocate all those who are candidates for the RA position to listen and hear this kind of experience that can be very beneficial in terms of respect gets respect. Absolutely. Right, right. I think people think that if you try to be friends with your residents, you might walk a fine line. But I think I've noticed at least this past semester that it's helped me get closer to them, but also 
in the same token, they don't want to do anything to disappoint me. Well, and it's harder, too, for you because you're an upper-class RA. Yeah, it's definitely same different. A, same age or roughly yeah. the same age for mm-hmm. some of your students. Yeah, some of my residents are older than me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a little different, I think, because, you know, there's not as much of the excitement of coming into college uh, when you're an upper-class RA. But it's nice because there's different ways to try and get people involved, and I've been working out with that. So Excellent. I'd also say you're dealing with the stigma of whoever they had or – Whoever they had as a former RA, if they were great or if they were not so great, you have to live up to that expectation. So right. that's also yeah. more difficult. Absolutely difficult. No, no joke. Um, what kind of relationships did you have with the residents? Yeah, definitely. It's funny because <laughs> when I was a junior, so my first year residence, people like called me dad, which I think is like <laughs> kind of weird, but at the same time, like people looked up to me, which I thought was really flattering. Um, But we had a really good, like my first year residence, I think we had a great dynamic, maybe because we weren't so far apart in age. Um, And it it ranged from wide variety. It was, you know, helping them with classes, uh, helping them with study abroad options, basically trying to help them make, you know, or guide their decisions because I've been in their shoes. Um, So that was really the relationship I had is a lot of advice giving. But at the same time, you know, it was a two way street. I took a lot of advice from them. I learned a lot from them just as, as residents or as, as people. Um, and I think it was a, it was a very open and, and fluid relationship in that sense. And then year two, did you approach it differently? Yeah. I think that, you know, I was thinking about that the other day and the RA experience is really interesting when you do two years because everything around you is the same, right? Same building, same school, same campus. And it's really just the students change or the residents change. Year two, I went into it with the exact same approach. But I will say, you know, like, I think maybe being a senior, uh, maybe having done this already before and they kind of knew I was an experienced RA, it was a little harder to kind of break that RA resident relationship kind of aspect. I think part of it is like, you know, when I was a first year RA or my first time being RA, I could say, hey, we're in this together. It's your first time as a college student. It's my first time as an RA. Year two, it's uh, I'm the experienced one in, in every facet, uh, and they're still the inexperienced one. So there's definitely more of a, you know, breaking that initial barrier um, aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll encounter that. I mean, it's my first year as an RA, so I think I've definitely been able to leverage the I'm learning with you too. And like I said, some of my residents are older than me, but um, it's been nice to, you know, kind of figure that out. Absolutely. And I think being naive is almost like, being naive and ignorant that first year all sometimes makes you a better RA because you don't know what works and you don't know what doesn't doesn't work. Um, and then when you go in the second year, you might go in with preconceived notions from the first year, and then you realize, oh wow, well, that totally didn't work. Um, so in in a lot of ways, I felt like first year was almost a better experience in that sense. And sometimes the second time around isn't as much fun uh, or the relationships may not be as impactful because you was the first time you were doing it, as you mentioned. So you said that you, you know, created these, uh, we tried to create these friendships with your residents. Have you stayed connected to any of them? Yeah. I mean, the beauty of social media is that, you know, you can stay connected with people without you know, too much effort. Um, so there's a lot of residents that, I, that we still talk to each other on social media. Um, I get, I love when I see my former residents hang out together. Um, and I've seen, a, you know, I've met up in the last three years since graduating. I've met up with a lot of them for, you know, lunch, dinner, uh, anyone who's still in the city. So I made a point where, you know, every time one of them graduate, like 
one year graduated, I reached out to all of them on Facebook and said, hey, congratulations, like now you guys are entering the real world. I'm more than happy to help provide any advice or guidance for you like I tried doing when you were a first year resident. Um, and, and some people have taken me up on it, some haven't, but it's, it's great. I think I love seeing the success of others. And I think, you know, Tom, you probably feel the same way when you see RAs and have Absolutely. them on the show. So. Absolutely. There's nothing like the reconnection of sharing the experience that we had together. So I agree with you. Um, what skills did you gain from being in the role? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I forget who I was listening to on the podcast earlier, but you mentioned decision making. And I think decision making is 100% one of the most important skills, um, you know, when you think about just life and, and when you go into business, the people who are at the top are always the ones who can make decisions, but they make decisions right more than they make decisions wrong. Um, and I think that comes through practice. And, and being an RA, a lot of times you're going to be making decisions that you might have time to think about, but also there were a lot of decision making, like decisions being made on the fly. Um, when it comes to a crisis management uh, situation, you know, you can't flinch. Uh, you have to go with your training, but also what you have to assess the situation, make the right choice. So I think having that skill set um, for in serious situations and, and not so serious situations really prepared me for for the real world. Right. Yeah. I think you know we go through a lot of training, but and that can help you with in terms of protocol. But when you're really placed in these situations, it's more so intuition, and you have to sharpen up on your decision making skills through it. And we can't train everyone on every single situation you may face. So right. there's the transferability of judgment and how to use it on an ongoing basis. Right. So are there any skills that you think that you transferred to your job now? And, you know, what was that transition like? Yeah, so besides decision-making, I think another skill was really just being able to pri- prioritize. Um, you know, I consider myself to be pretty efficient, but knowing how to, you know, when, you, when you're in a job, you multiple people could be asking for things from you, knowing how to, one, manage their expectations um, and tell them, look, this is like the list or like telling them and and knowing which ones you should get to beforehand, that's really important. But then also making sure that you're prioritizing, you know, your tasks, whether that's in in work or also in life. Um, So it's really taught, being an RA, whereas, you know, life and job combination, it really taught me, one, how to balance the two, but also how to prioritize the two, right? So prioritize decisions and prioritize tasks on the job, also prioritize things in life. Um, can this wait? Should I really be spending so much time on it versus you know, should I be going in and hang out with my friends or my family instead? The decision and how to spend time is really an important aspect of being successful, not only as an RA, but after that yeah. uh, part of your life as well in the real world. We're gonna take a little bit of a break, commercial break, and. Uh, has some words of advice from former RAs from other podcasts. So hold on. When we come back, Jesse's going to tell us a lot about the transition from graduation day to what he's doing today. We'll be right back. Hi, Brittany Johnson here. I'm currently the standby for Glinda and Wicked on Broadway. Um, come and see me. If you want to find out when I'm on, stay up to date on my social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Sunny Brittany. I'll see you in Oz. Bye. Welcome back. Uh, We heard from Jesse in terms of his undergraduate experience at NYU. Now we're going to talk a little bit about his time and what he's doing since graduation. So let's jump into graduation day. Obviously, as a Stern student, you had some OCR or other preparation for uh, getting uh, the full-time gig. What did you do in terms of the internship 
choices you made that helped you prepare for graduation day? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I, I did internships almost every year until I secured my full-time role. Um, and I, it was twofold. One, I wanted the experience, but two, I took internships that were pay, that would pay me. So it was kind of like a part-time job and New York City is not cheap and that was really nice. But for me, I came into the mindset of, look, I'm gonna do a bunch of internships. And once I do all these internships, I'll know exactly what I wanna do with my life. And I was totally wrong. I think like what it taught me was, all right, these are the things I like about my future job and these are the things I dislike. So I did an internship in for a PR company. I did finance internships. I did you know consulting internships, and what it really taught me was you know follow the people. Um, a lot of time, what I realized was you know there were companies that I interned for that were more prestigious, but I didn't really get along with the people. And I didn't really take away much from it. Where I had an internship where it was less prestigious, and I learned so much because the people I worked with were so great. Um, and that's something that I really carried with uh, for my subsequent roles. Mm-hmm. So was there one particular internship you had that really helped you decide, wow, I'm very interested in investment banking in particular? <laughs> yeah, I think like going into investment banking is, is kind of a, I, I, you know, I hate the word, but like there is a herd mentality at Stern to kind of move down that track. Definitely. Um, I, I mean, for me, it was kind of, I did my summer analyst program at JP Morgan before taking the full time. And that was just a confirmation of the group that I was joining, that I liked the people. I felt like this was a good launch pad for my career. And I also really just liked the analyst class aspect where it was myself and like a couple hundred other people my age all entering the same company at the same time. And it was just a great community from the start. It kind of reminded me of college and that was one big advantage I think of going to a big firm like that. So why is that herd mentality, not only here at NYU, mm-hmm. Wharton and other you know great business schools, that iBanking is the kind of next step Help me understand. I'm not in that field. <laughs> Jane, I don't know if that's the path you're looking at. No, that is it's not, not the your path, path I'm okay, looking okay, at. Okay, okay. I think it's, uh, for me, I think it's a timing thing. It's one of those, you know, every year they start recruiting students earlier and earlier. When I was at J.P. Morgan, I was interviewing freshmen who just joined, you know, got on campus. Right. And so when you get to students so early and build the sense of urgency in them, they start. They just do interviews because they think they have to do it, or else they'll miss their their chance. Just in case that's what they want to do down the line. And so I think like these banks are you know smart. You can call them evil as well. That they're they're scooping or reeling in kids so early that before they realize what they really want to do, they've already locked in their job. But I think the flip side is a lot of people realize that. However, they know that the job can open a lot of doors. It doesn't necessarily close doors. And so they go with the flow a bit and they go with that herd mentality because it's not specialized to the point where if you do change your mind, you can't go from a you know a bank to any other role in, in the world or any other role at a, at a different company. And so that's why I think it's between the timing of the urgency aspect and also it doesn't really shut doors people see it as like, hey, if I can do it, then why not just try it out? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, when I was in Madrid, I actually got an email from a company in January for summer 2020 uh, recruiting, and I was like, that's crazy, especially for people who are younger. To me, it's like, well, I know that they're starting early, it doesn't necessarily stress me out, but for someone who's younger, that can definitely be mm-hmm. yeah. stressful. And, and it's kind of, it's, I think it's kind of where society's going, right? If you look at why private schools in Manhattan are so hard to get into, People are signing their kids up for like daycare that leads to preschool, that leads to K through five, that right. leads to middle school and then call it in high school because they ultimately want to live. So that, that whole cycle just starts so early right now. 
Um, I don't have a great answer for how we stop it, but yeah. And it may not be that we need to stop it because the question, the follow-up question is, so what skills does someone get in the iBanking yeah. field? I think the greatest thing about being in that role is that you know it's client-facing, and not only that, but your clients are some of the biggest companies in the world. And so for me, or for someone who likes business, it was an awesome way to kind of just jump, like catapult to the top and talk to key decision makers from companies I would never, you know, be able to talk to. Um, so I think having that skill, being able to have a conversation with someone who's got decades more experience than you is great. Um, the other aspect is, you know, you really become an expert at whatever you're advising on, which is why these people are talking to you in the first place. And I think anytime you can become an expert of a topic and people who have worked for decades are, are looking to you for your advice, that's a great opportunity right out the door of, of college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you mentioned a lot of positives, but are there any challenges or downsides to working, especially in an entry-level position in investment banking? Definitely, yeah. I think the one thing you hear about is just the hours. So work-life balance is definitely a, you know, a, a harder aspect of, of finance careers in general. Um, I will say I was personally fortunate in the sense that my group was very, uh, they focus a lot on work-life balance. And that was, I think that goes back to choosing the people um, and following the people. So the, the directors in my group were family, like family people. Um, they had kids that they wanted to get home to. And we had a very good mentality where it was, hey, let's get the work done so we can go home and enjoy our lives. Um, and, and that's really also what drew me to that group. So you're doing this for a couple of years and you start to think like you have plateaued or you've learned everything you can. Yep. I mean, what is the impetus to start looking? Yeah, so the nice thing about corporations and not just a bank is that there's a lot of structure and because there's structure, you can kind of look ahead and see you know, what it takes to get to, or in the next five years or the next 10 years, where will I most likely be? Um, and, and that's what I saw, right? I saw my directors, that's probably what I would be in the next five to 10 years. And to me, it was almost scarier knowing what my career path would be in five to 10 years than not knowing what my career path would be in five to 10 years. Um, so that was one thing. The other aspect was I always knew I wanted to move to a smaller company. You know, in finance, they teach you like, hey, the role you want in finance is to be close to the money because that's where the money is. Um, for me, it was like, I want to be a decision maker. I want to be a leader, so I should be close to where the decisions are being made. And while my group was small and I had a, my director was very great in, in taking me into meetings, you know, you're not at a big corporation like that. You're not close to the decision makers up top. Um, you don't know where the strategies are going. Like you hear news the same time your boss hears news who's been at the bank for 20 years. Um, and so that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And that's really why I always knew I was going to move into you know, a startup or a smaller company environment. Right. And in your role now, um, what did you learn is necessary in final financial security in the financial world? So just like, would you say like personal finance or just in, in general? I think you can take it from both. Let's talk yeah. about personal first. Yeah, it's funny. I think you know people assume that there's people going to finance are great with personal finances. <laughs> That's true. Um, it's total opposite from what I've seen. But for me, it's um, I think this is probably the other positive of going into finance out of your career. Is like it's known to be a well-paying job, um, and because of that, I was able to save money and and I knew I was going to move to a riskier option down the line. And it kind of helped me build, you know, some savings before I took that risk. Um, but I personally love personal finance. Um, but it's funny because I went into an industry 
where you'd expect everyone to be pretty good at personal finance. And I found myself <laughs> telling people like, hey, you should really you know, do X, Y, Z. Um, you're advising this company on multi-billion dollar deals, but <laughs> you should focus on your, uh, your own stuff. <laughs> That's tough. So um, you transitioned after you left JP Morgan to a um, cybersecurity operation, mm -hmm. a startup. Yep. You, you knew you were gonna do something risky and then you stayed in it for six months. I mean, you, tell us a little bit about those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So the startup that I joined first was, you know, it started in London, and so they were building their New York office, and basically they needed their founding team in New York. Um, so that's where I really saw the opportunity. I was like, whoa, I could be the founding team in New York. They, were, they had so much good traction, great investors, and so that seemed like the right jump. Um, the role itself was more initially, like, it's called business development, which is, is quasi sales, but also, you know, your job is to basically build partnerships and try to build avenues of revenue uh, in, in the States. I left there after five to six months, not necessarily by my own choice. Um, they decided to close their New York office and, you know, open an SF office. And so that really taught me, I think one, there was, I thought I did my due diligence in terms of, oh, got to choose a company that has great funding, got to choose a company that's doing really well, but that, you know, a company could always move their offices, right? And you don't really like, count for that. So that really showed me and opened my eyes like, look, things are risky. Um, and that that gave me a nice little two months off and then ultimately landed me at my current role, which is, is an, another startup. Um, but I was definitely less naive going into it. And I definitely took my search in a different direction compared to my first move. So what does someone who's negotiating to work with a startup need to think about in the negotiation process? Absolutely. I think it really depends on the size of the firm. So you have way more leverage if you're joining a, you know, less than five or less than 10 person company. The company I went to first was about 150. Um, and so less leverage there. The company I'm at now has about less, like about 60 people or so. Um, I think there are a lot of considerations. I think what I found is you should really join a company where you have people there that know the product well. Um, they've been in the industry. What you realize is that it's really hard to gain trust of clients, right? If startups are ultimately just it's sales. Everyone there is trying to sell the company and trying to grow. Um, you need people who understand it. You need industry experts. But I think people should look at what is the role that I'm going to go into and then build into that decision-making process a lot of buffer because startups are very nimble. The role that you sign up for, the role in the job description could be totally different than what you're doing five to 10 months down the line. And so are you comfortable if that role goes in any of those directions? Um, and you can kind of gauge that by seeing what roles already exist and, and having those conversations up front and being like, hey, you know, I want to do this role, but where could you see this role transitioning to and trying to get as candid of a response as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, did the interview process, are they very different yeah. from a startup as it relates to sitting down with the people compared to a JP Morgan, which I don't know, case studies is part of that I hear, or you're, are you looking through that chain as well? <laughs> um, I mean, I think in, in this particular role, I think it, it can be pretty similar. Maybe the scale of the um, the clients you're working with aren't exactly the same, but it's still, you know, meeting with them, forming mm -hmm. partnerships and figuring out how you can best, you know, serve them. Huh? Yeah, I'd say so interviews at a big company are typically much more structured, right? You're working directly with HR versus maybe your hiring manager. Um, 
I think also because I was coming out of undergrad, the undergraduate recruiting programs are always really well run and they're super structured. What I found with the interview process with startups, I think, you know, it's the most frustrating aspect is a lot of times they don't even know what they're hiring for. And I saw that too on the other side where we interviewed people for a role and then after interviewing them, we were like, we like that person, but they made us realize that we're looking for this other type of person. And so with startups, I think it's a much bigger, like going into an interview, don't exp- you, it's harder to gauge, right? I think when you interview for a bank or a consulting company where they give you a few case studies, if you crush those case studies, you know, okay, I probably will get the job. With startups, you can have a great interview, you really enjoyed it, um, think everyone loved you, and then realize, oh, that they actually changed their mind in terms of what they're looking for, and you actually help them make that decision. Um, and so that's a big, big nuance, I think. Talk a little bit about the technology piece with finances. Mm-hmm. Where is that going? What are you seeing? And are there new industries that you're seeing on the horizon for our sternies who are thinking about, wow, I didn't even know that existed? Yeah, absolutely. So the funny thing is, like, I always describe JP Morgan as a as the uh, the big cruise ship that's just sailing through the seas. You know, they're pretty satisfied and they're they really just play defense against all these little pirate ships that are trying to take their ground. Um, and I, quite frankly, I think it's a lot more fun to be one of those pirate ships trying to take that ground. If you look at the finance space, you know, there's a lot of room for innovation. It's because these big banks and these big companies are so comfortable up top. And so innovation spaces you're seeing now is obviously there's a lot of wealth management type tools, right? Whether it's an app that helps you track your finances. Um, there are people develop our company, for instance, we're helping, you know, traders trade bonds electronically versus picking up the phone or literally typing on a chat and asking people to trade you know, corporate bonds. Uh, there's just so much room for innovation because for so long these big corporations have built a moat around it, but now because technology is advancing, there are great startups like a company called Plaid who has made you know what used to be really difficult to get access to, you know, people's bank information, like transferring money from one account to another, really simple and because you can kind of, because the infrastructure is essentially open now, you're seeing a lot more fintech come come about. So advice to undergrads who are, are graduating from Stern or a junior in Stern to say, if I want to make as much money as I can, and I'm not <laughs> saying that that's your goal, Jesse, but or Jane, uh, but what should I be doing? Like as it relates to what should I be looking for in a company to work for? Absolutely, um, I think. You know, if I knew the exact answer, I'd probably be doing it right yeah. now and I'd be selling my advice in a book somewhere. But I think, you know, you have one aspect that I've realized real, really quickly is that your career is a long career. And it, I think another reason why a lot of people go into banking right away is because the money from the start is, is really good. But what I found is that even in just three years, I found a lot of my peers who weren't working in finance we're doing pretty well, almost, and then some of them were doing better than most of like people in finance. Um, so I'd say, you know, don't base your starting salary as such, don't put so much emphasis on your starting salary. You know, schools love to report, hey, here's what our gradu- graduates are making upon graduating from NYU. But look at it from a five, 10, 20, 30 year perspective. And I think ultimately, if you take that approach, I think you'll find yourself in a much better position down the line. So being innovative, thinking about skills you're going to get, people you're going to get to know, it sounds like that might be a better landscape than just, I'm going to make $100,000 or $85,000 and I'm going to get a $5,000, $10,000 signing bonus. Exactly. The six-figure salary sounds so great right out of college, but, you know, 
one, a lot of people don't last long in, in those careers, um, whether it's by their own choice or just by, you know, things happen. But two, I think it's it's important to recognize that money right now feels great, but if you can say, hey, wait a few years and do different things, gain a lot of skills, you know, join a smaller company where you're making decisions and really joining, learning other skills that you wouldn't get at a big company, um, hold off on that six-figure check for a few years, I think you'll see the returns down the line. Good right. Advice. Yeah, I think in business schools, not just in Stern in particular, but there's a push to just work at the biggest company you can make the most amount of money. Stern reports its average um, starting salary. And so people come in, kind of see that and say, that's what I have to do. But I think it's definitely important to explore, you know, kind of like I'm doing, but also making sure you're doing things that you actually like and not forcing yourself to do something just because everyone else around you is doing it. Absolutely. And I'd say surround yourself with a diverse group of people. I think you know, one aspect that I loved about NYU was, you know, I went to Stern, so obviously I had a lot of friends in finance, and when we were working our first couple years, we could bounce things off of each other and be like, does this happen at your company and vice versa? So you kind of knew you weren't alone in it. But also, I had a lot of friends in other industries like marketing, consulting, you know, startups. And we were able, I was able to get their view on certain things that, you know, I felt was specific to finance, like, oh, like, my boss is annoying or something like that, and realize, oh, this actually happens in other industries. But then on the flip side, I could hear, okay, so this is like something frustrating that happens at a bank. Does that happen in a smaller company? Oh, no, it doesn't. All right, that might be something to consider. Um, and then as well as, as the salary aspect, when you hear other people are making pretty good money, doing something that's totally not finance related, makes you realize, okay, well, it's not just one world or there's not just one track that I have to go down. It's time for shout outs. So this is a chance for you to shout out some of those colleagues that you work with at Brittany or as RAs across campus. Yeah, I mean, so there's one RA that I see every day. So my girlfriend, Serena Peters, was an RA with me. She's a great woman. Yeah, Absolutely. She, she's awesome. So she, she's someone I see every day. Um, other RAs in our year, like, keep in touch a lot through social media, like media, uh, Maya Polishensky, um, Justine Lay, Brittany Muser, like we're all very tight. Um, I ran into Vicky Chen the other day at Trader Joe's. Um, from a staff perspective, you know, Danielle Dimoff actually reached out to me, you know, when I changed my jobs. Um, I see her, she was a great mentor when I was at NYU um, and continues to be a great mentor to this day. Um, so shout out to her. And then of course, Sarah Shields, who, you know, she was kind of this her first time at a residence hall at NYU when it was my first time. So we definitely bonded over that. And now she's still at NYU and based on social media, she loves her job. So over in Brooklyn, very happy for her. And I think like, that's like the great thing about NYU is that everyone has their kind of place to be, right? They that certainly do. Let's go to a speed round. Uh, you ready? Right. So I'm just gonna ask you a couple of questions and give me a quick answer. Uh, what is your favorite tradition at NYU? I love the uh, the fire hall competition. Yeah. Uh, what's the best dining hall? For me, I'd have to say it was Upstein, simply because it was so convenient. Uh, favorite NYU professor? Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, professor Anna Greenspan, who I had in Shanghai, was probably the best professor I could have had for study abroad. Um, Aria Finger, who taught nonprofit management. Uh, and Professor Doug Band, who I think was mentioned earlier in, or in a previous episode, who also taught public policy management. And finally, what was your most memorable RA experience? Yeah, I think for me it was like nothing specific, but I loved the week before the spring semester where we came back from winter break and we just had 
a week to kind of, or a few days to really get back into the groove, talk about our holidays and really catch up with the other IAs with the building being empty. Like that moment to me was always so nice because you're, they're your friends, right? It's a great community. Um, you're comfortable at that point, you know each other uh, and you get to really just catch up before the final few months of, of the spring semester. Right, I'm looking forward to that. Haven't gone through it yet. You will, you will. It's the best. <laughs> okay, Jesse, thanks so much for spending time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after NYU has taken you. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums who are living the dream school alumni version life. Jesse, thank you for being here. You are a wonderful human being. I love your drive. I love your thoughtfulness and your ability to reflect and overcoming the obstacle, turning it to a positive uh, attitude. So thanks for being here, truly. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. Special thanks to my engineer, Alejandra Aravala, our executive director, Duncan Lemieux, and our executive producer, Shahara Ranasang, and to the current professional staff and the alumni of NYU, such as Sarah Shields, and Danielle Demnoff, who assisted these great RA alums in skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on the newly unveiled RA alumni website at where-ra-now.webflow.io, which lists RA favorite books, picks of all-time favorite memories, RA accomplishments, and ways to mentor. Until next time, think about how you can learn and then teach it to others. Have a great night. Thank you.